Hello and welcome to another episode of Private Equity Talks. Today we'll be discussing what corporate governance has to do with it, so looking at the importance of having corporate governance at the top of the business agenda. I'm Talia Masiri, Editor of Real Deals, and today I'm joined by Susan Fadil, Senior Director of Institutional Business at JTC Group, Bill Prue, CEO of Indos Financial, a JTC Group company, and James Newman, co-head of Perform Due Diligence. Hi, everyone. Hi, hello. Great, great to have you all on today. Um, just before we get into the discussion, um, perhaps, Susan, would you mind starting by giving a quick introduction to yourself and your role, and then Bill and James, if you could follow? Certainly. Um, I'm Susan Fadil. Um, I'm a chartered governance um, professional by uh, qualification. Um, and at JTC, I'm responsible for corporate governance um, services, primarily mainly to um, listed funds, but also to other listed um, commercial companies. Uh, and we provide um, an outsourced uh, COSEC and corporate governance service to those, to those companies. Great, look forward to hearing more from you, Susan. Thank you. And, and Bill, hi. Hi, Talia. So, yes, Bill Peru, um, founder and CEO of a business called Indos Financial. Uh, we are a provider of independent depository and fund oversight services to the private equity hedge fund and listed fund sectors. Uh, so pretty broad range of, of clients and experience and uh, views on sort of corporate governance across the industry from different angles. Great, thanks, Bill. And last but not, not least, hi, James. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, James Newman, uh, co-head of Perform Due Diligence Services, which is a provider of operational due diligence um, uh, services and products to uh, investors in funds, among other client types, uh, in order to as assess non-investment risks or operational risks, such as you know, people, organisational operational processes, regulations, service provider dependencies. Uh, we, uh, we offer an OED service based on rigorous and independent reviews of these risks and work collaboratively with both clients and in the case of private markets with GPs to address any meaningful concerns. Thank you. Great, great. Thanks, James. Um, okay, so today we'll be discussing the importance of having corporate governance as a key business consideration um, and something that should clearly be top of the agenda. Um, for firms. So James, coming back to you um, to start perhaps, why is corporate governance important um, for private markets? Well, in the private market space and, and from a funds perspective, um, GPs have raised you know, record levels of capital um, with you know, competition in effect between allocators for, for capacity. And this backdrop is not a good environment for promoting strong uh, aligned interests between GPs and LPs, and hence corporate governance structures are more important than ever to safeguard the best interests of, of limited partners. I think I, I see things in typically in our due diligence as so two, two states of operational play, if I can put it that way, that's uh, of interest to LPs. The first is what I would call sort of the normal operating conditions, you know, the fund setup process. Uh, the, the LPs um, get involved in um, fee negotiations, um, mm -hmm. they can exert some pressure at that stage. And then once the capital has been drawn and the investment period begins, the GP is responsible for managing the portfolio companies, performing initial and ongoing due diligence, uh, managing the exits, um, 
considering co-investment and managing co-investment allocations and, and the corporate culture as well. The, the second mm -hmm. state of play, as I'd call it, is what is a, um, and it certainly as a due diligence business, this is a situation we wish to avoid for our clients, is when circumstances may arise where interest may diverge away from uh, that of the investor, i.e. an operational failure, fraud even, some form of misconduct, all of which can lead to an operational event, um, reputationally damaging or even actual financial loss to the investor. So allocators are mm. they're seeking conviction um, that the internal corporate governance frameworks are in place to manage both in those, those two states of, of play and mitigate any situation that could, that could, could cause harm. Um, I'd say there, there are many kind of characteristics uh, and elements that create high standards, but if I were to name a few, they would be um, the constitution of the board, you know, its powers, its reach, its oversight, uh, diversity, um, elements of uh, three lines of defense, which you may or may not have at the GP. So what I mean by that is the, the first line being the business, the second line being the compliance um, and the risk teams. And then third is the internal audit teams. And you may have a mixture of those uh, blended, blends of uh, lines of defense within an organization, some exactly uh, reflecting that and others not so. Um, remuneration, you know, how that is aligned to investors, um, certainly valuation policies, and I mentioned earlier, you know, limited um, partner advisory committees and those sorts of um, corporate government structures that can give, uh, you know, can really give investors security, both at the beginning of the investment, but also confidence going forward in the course of the investment. Mitigating that risk there um, and ensuring that kind of challenges aren't met um, or kind of can be foreseen uh, prior to, to any any issues happening. Um, and, and Susan, what about from your perspective? What about in the, the public markets? Why is corporate governance important? Um, Yes, Talia, I mean, it's it's pretty similar as to why it's important for both private and public companies, really. But I mean, the main importance around corporate governance is that it provides a framework by which a company is controlled and directed um, in, in the most effective way. So um, it sort of involves a set of sort of like relationships between a company's management, its board, its shareholders and other stakeholders. Um, so, you know, good corporate governance builds trust and predictability um, in an organization. Yeah. Um, it, it, it provides a, 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 it generates a comfort to investors, um, which um, is sort of um, manifesting itself really in, in, in today's sort of like um, focus around um, ESG policies that are coming, coming to the fore. Um, and over recent years, there's been some uh, empirical sort of like evidence that's emerged that shows a correlation between those companies that have good corporate governance and, for example, stock market performance of those companies. No, great. Thanks, Susan. I think um, I'm sure you can agree, James, it's, it's the same in private markets in terms of that link between companies with good corporate governance and, and stronger returns um, as well for those businesses. Um, Okay, and now kind of moving on to looking at the, some of the challenges associated with corporate governance. Um, so Bill, if I could come to you on this one first, 
Um, what, what do fund managers commonly struggle with? Um, what, what are the challenges um, to be considered here? I think, yes, when you're considering it um, from a, a sort of a, a manager's perspective, invested in private companies, it really depends on the nature and the, the market of the underlying company and sort of the, the um, I suppose, it's sort of age profile and, and where it's at in its life cycle. But, but clearly, um, there's going to be a wide variety of different practices and, um, you know, asset managers are just going to um, really need to sort of get involved and, and, uh, and understand sort of what, what, what type of company. Um, and anything to add there, James, any kind of other challenges um, associated with corporate governance? Well, I, I think it's certainly not a level playing field. You won't, uh, you know, there's some really good um, standards, um, for example, ILPA um, in the private fund space, mm -hmm. which are specifically looking at um, assisting on, on representing LPs in, in the private equity um, space. And that is because it's not a level playing field. There are different varieties and different forms of, of corporate governance and, and sometimes very weak forms of corporate governance, which, you know, like I say, in the sort of backdrop of a huge interest in the space, um, it's very important for allocators, investors to, to consider the corporate governance frameworks um, for that six, seven, or maybe eight-year period that you'll be you'll be investing in, you know, some some private equity managers that that we um, that we will look at and will continue to look at um, who are spinning spinning out of you know banks or um, asset managers, you know, they're they're coming from front office performing front office activities, um, and, and so you know they they don't they they're not typically thinking exactly around corporate governance and culture um, practices necessarily. Um, and this is all, you know, this is also an element of the huge interest of private markets as well. That can mean G GPs uh, have the upper hand when it comes to them uh, capital raising. So it, it, it all, it's all very important. It's, it's a consideration that needs to be taken. Um, and LPs need to give considerable amount of time and effort to be able to engage with GPs. And through us, we, we you know, we form that sort of go-between where we can provide what we see as good practice, not necessarily best practice, but good, but good practice. Um, mm -hmm. So that GPs, we, we can apply that pressure for GPs to say, look, you know, if the vast majority are doing it this way, this is something that will benefit you as a business. This is something that benefit LPs and have assurances. Uh, with investing with a manager, and that ensures that you, you know, the likelihood of good outcomes. And as I said before, you know, uh, reputational risk, operational events, all those sorts of things. In, investors and LPs are not paying for that risk. There's no, there's no return for that, nor should there be. It's you know, um, really what you're putting your money to work is is for the investment return uh, only. So good due diligence, um, good insight into corporate governance. And also having an idea as to how to change things is important. The last thing I'd mention on, on this, which may, uh, GPs may struggle with a little bit, particularly in the private equity is the fund structure. So unlike in you know, open-ended funds, hedge funds as a fund board, you know, and um, that industry in particular has many years of experience in um, independent non-executive directors being participants and playing an active role in the corporate governance of, of the fund and also to some extent yeah. to the investment manager as well. Well, in that, you don't naturally have that in the GP, GPLP relationship. You, you know, there are efforts for GPs themselves to have independent fund directors or independent representation. 
um, but it's not something that has naturally come come in at the start. So something for uh, for investors to be to be aware of. Yeah, yeah, definitely something that can be kind of improved and worked upon. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, and there, and there Susan, is, anything? Yeah, sorry, I was just about to say there are <laughs> there are improvements in that area. You know, I've been doing due diligence and private equity now for best part of eight or nine years and independent directors of any such sort just really didn't exist at all. I know, um, mm. but now I think you're, you know, the likes of the efforts of what Perform Due Diligence Services is doing and others in the industry are, are raising the bar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Good to see. Um, and, and Susan, from your perspective, anything to add here in terms of the challenges um, around corporate governance, certainly kind of where public markets um, have to be a lot more transparent as well. Um, what, what are the, the struggles there? Yeah, I mean, typically um, we're, we're seeing that um, there's been an increased focus on um, risk management um, and resilience of the organisation. I think COVID really threw that into stark contrast for a lot of organisations um, and, and how resilient, you know, their, their actual corporate governance framework um, was. Um, regulatory compliance, obviously, is a continuing um, stream of new regulations that, that come out and keeping a grip and on top of um, all of the changes can be a challenge for, 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 for entities. Um, and then yeah. um, sort of topical areas are around sort of like um, diversity, um, you know, both of, 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 of boards, not only um, gender diversity, but wider diversity, that's very topical mm -hmm. and also also climate um, change and climate reporting. Um, you know, there's more and more pressure from the investor base around, um, you know, what are entities doing in relation to, to, to moving towards a, a net zero carbon um, footprint um, and increase yes. sort of like investor pressure to, um, you know, to see results in, 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 that, in that sphere. Yeah, yeah, definitely really interesting. And and we will come on to, to speak a bit more about the, the environmental and the, the ESG side of things um, a bit later on. Um, but yeah. Susan, sticking with you, um, perhaps on kind of the next point around uh, with increasing regulation around corporate finance, um, is kind of, is it, is it, oh, sorry, just, is it really having a, a real impact um, on behaviour or are firms kind of viewing it as a bit of a tick box exercise? Um, what, what are you seeing? Uh, I don't think they see it as a, as a tick box ex exercise. I think boards really do recognise the benefit of um, sort of like good disclosure around um, corporate governance, uh, ESG matters, um, you know, the new, um, well, it's not necessarily new, but the, the requirement in relation to Section 172 reporting and, and how they, um, the transparency around narrative reporting in particular in, in annual reports and accounts. Um, I think for those that treat it as a tick box exercise are, are perhaps missing the point, And I haven't personally come across any of our clients that are treating it in that way, they all, you know, treat it in a in a in a serious in a serious manner and see the benefit of, yeah. um, you know, um, appropriate disclosure. Really, 
fair to say that I mean, clearly governance is under the spotlight. And I think that anybody who uh, seeks to adopt a tick exercise, whether it's public or private markets, is, is going to be found out. I and mean, as James mentioned, investors in due diligence want to see real conviction. And, you, you know, they will be sort of scratching beneath the surface and asking people to demonstrate that they've got robust models in place. Yeah, yeah, sure, makes sense. Um, and then James, anything to add there or um, perhaps not wantingly, wanting to uh, ignore corporate governance, but for the smaller firms, is it perhaps a bigger task where they're lacking in resources um, to consider certain areas uh, within corporate governance? Yeah, I mean, it, it needs to be, you know, corporate governance needs to be appropriate for the size of the organisation and the complexity of the organisation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when um, I, I can think of a review that we were performing where the we were looking at a, a credit fund and there also was an equity size of the business as well, there's natural conflicts of interest in those two strategies and the positions that each of those funds are taking. So regardless of the mm -hmm. size of the fund or the firm, they, they need to handle that. They need to be able to manage that. And that doesn't necessarily mean putting in a significant amount of management layers or reporting or um, it just needs to be able to articulate principally in a conflicts of interest policy, um, preferably within the, um, within the LPA um, to describe mm. how that would be managed and that would draw in as well the participation or consultancy with the limited partner, partners um, advisory committee to an extent. So yes, I agree in some respects mm. um, for the smaller firms, uh, you, I mentioned the three lines of defense before, for example, small firms, you know, there could be, you know, a dozen or so in that firm, three lines of defense, you know, where's that going to come from? But nonetheless, yeah. you can still make, you can still clarify, you can still segregate duties you can still have appropriate reporting lines and also a version of, as I say, um, either being transparent with all investors. So whether that be a co-investment, whether that, as I say, would be uh, potentially conflicts of interest between allocations. So either with all investors or mm -hmm. with an advisory committee that can um, assist in those situations. Okay, great, great. Thanks, James. Um, and then, Bill, coming to you, perhaps, um, how can tech solutions kind of help firms to keep up with these kind of regulatory requirements? Yeah, I mean, well, I think just generally for corporate governance, there are a number of, um, call them sort of board and document management solutions in the market that are fairly sort of tried and tested. And there are equally some solutions in the market which uh, enable um Liquid funds or, or just firms in general to sort of document what their regulatory compliance obligations are and then have a, a kind of workflow management tracking system to ensure that they can evidence that you're actually complying with all your obligations. Um, I think they're, they're fairly mm. tried, tried and tested in the market. I mean, I think there are some other tools emerging that help firms manage uh, some specific risks. A good example of that is. Um, is a system called JTC Insider, which um, enables firms to comply with the market abuse regulations. And perhaps Sue, who's more familiar with it, will, will just cover off what that does. Yes, thank you, Bill. Yeah, um, I mean, JTC Insider is a proprietary sort of software um, that uh, we've, we've developed um, with a company called insiderlist.com. 
Um, and mm -hmm. basically, um, it helps our clients automate the workflow and compliance around the market abuse regulation, uh, in particular around the management of insider lists, uh, who's on an insider list uh, and their notification that they are on an insider list and therefore uh, can't do certain things. Um, and also um, around permissions to, to, to deal shares for uh, people that are on insider lists or PDMRs. So it just ensures sort of like stringent compliance with um, the FCA's regulations around market abuse, um, which is okay. uh, much better than just doing it on a spreadsheet. Definitely, definitely a lot more trust, trustworthy and I guess so people can sleep at night um, yeah. knowing it, it's being handled correctly. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to find you're on the wrong side because uh, the uh, fines uh, and censure can be uh, quite stringent. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, great. No, really interesting. Um, okay. And now um, looking specifically at, at the private market side, James, if I come to you, um, in terms of the fundraising process. So what do firms have to consider before and during a fundraising uh, when it comes to corporate governance? Yeah, I, I think the, the, the sort of the core, core principles for prior to fundraising and also extends during, during the actual, after the fundraising, during the fundraising process, is to have, uh, is to be able to clearly articulate both in the, the fund governing documents um, and also within the policies and procedures at the firm level, how the firm intends to manage and operate itself um, as a fiduciary, in effect a fiduciary of, of the investors in, in the fund. Um, now that touches lots of different areas um, and, and it may also be that, you know, during, you know, it could be that this is the third or fourth raise and there could be prior vintages that have preceded the, the, the current raise. Um, and so there needs to be a look back as to how um, policies and processes um, um, uh, were, were articulated in um, prior to the raise and also during, during the raise. Um, okay. So all of that needs to be clearly set out and needs to be transparent. I think the area that private markets, and it's something the SEC has picked up as early as 2015, 2016, was a certain lack of transparency, whether that was um, mm. a deliberate attempt or whether it was just, um, you know, if we think back in uh, through our, you know, careers in what we've been doing, I think there's always been a growing level of transparency. We've been on a journey of increasing transparency. Um, and and mm. so we, you know, we've seen that in, the, in private markets. They've, they've, you know, GPs have become better. They do now explain for example, different fees and expenses that are being picked up by the fund that weren't necessarily articulated um, and how that, that is managed. Now, actually, during, um, during the fundraising process, and I would say actually after that, the actual application and going into the actual investment period, um, mm. the limited partner advisory committee are, you know, is a critical um, determinant in how the fund governance will look like and for the, for the investors in that fund. Um, but in practice, the, the, L, the LPAC's role and participation 
the GP, in my experience, can vary widely. And so when, when firms are fundraising, they should pay particular attention to, to the LPAC, um, both you know, prior funds, prior vintages, as well as current vintages. Um, and they can be constituted to play a limited or wider role. Okay. Um, and then kind of further on in the process, um, once kind of businesses are acquired and, and private equity firms are working alongside them. And um, Bill, how can good corporate governance management create value for PE managers? Yeah, I think we, we've touched on a bit of this already, but I mean, and clearly good corporate governance is going to create value for managers and the portfolio companies in which they invest. I mean, uh, some of this is, is fairly obvious, but I think as Susan mentioned earlier, it builds trust and confidence. Um, mm -hmm. Um, that's with all sorts of stakeholders, whether that's you know shareholders, banks, lenders, employees, suppliers, and so on. Um, I think it you know if you've got good corporate governance, it tends to follow you've got good risk management processes. So it's going to help you manage and mitigate risks within a business and make better decisions. I think, um, and I think we we touched on as well that um, you know it tends to to lend itself to good compliance generally with the laws and regulations, which is important, and ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, corporate governance is going to better support and achieve an exit strategy whether that's you know another private equity investor or a private sale or or through a listing you can go down that road yeah yeah definitely definitely and kind of that brings me on nicely to my next point i was going to ask you susan in terms of the the exit process um so including public listings what what should a firm um, consider here when it comes to corporate governance and how can that consideration help at the exit stage? Uh, well, I think just having a good, um, as we've sort of already touched on, a good governance framework um, helps in induce sort of like reflection on exit strategies. Um, it puts it sort of like on the agenda as well. It should be on the agenda for, 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 for the company to consider. Um, it gives additional comfort to prospective shareholders deciding whether to invest in the company. Um, it can sort of like cover things like improved um, capital flow, so an increase in confidence by investors and banks in the company because it's got a robust financial management um, reporting um, framework in place, for example, if it's got um, good, good governance framework there. Um, transparency around a company's internal policies and control mechanisms. Um, can lead to a sort of like a reputational boost, um, which uh, will enhance value for, 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 the, for the investors on exit. Um, improved reporting, I think, um, can lead to um, uh, performance uh, improvements as well, um, and uh, good, good decision-making um, can, can, can flow from that. Um, Millennials, as well, in particular, um, which are the okay. largest group in the in the labour market, um, uh, they tend to uh, rank an organisation's commitment to um, responsible business practices um, quite highly yeah. in their uh, employment choices. So, uh, you know, it can help you attract good good talent to your business. So, uh, they're all sort of like Definitely. things that, that that sort of like to consider sort of like prior to an exit and, and sort of flow through from each yeah. other. 
definitely but i assume susan it's not a case of just considering corporate governance at exit as we discussed kind of previously it's all about kind of having those considerations through through the deal yeah, but, but, but they run through the life cycle of an entity mm. really from 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 birth to death if you uh, want to see it that way um and uh, yeah they, they you know they shouldn't they they should just be a continuous flowing river and not something that you just pick up and put down and uh you know when it when it suits you it, it should just be a continuous thing that flows through the whole sort of like culture and purpose of the organization exactly exactly we're very well put there um okay and then i guess to to finish um king i know we've already touched on esg and clearly ES, corporate governance runs within ESG, but how is kind of the broader focus, both in public and private markets, on ESG and impacting uh, corporate governance practices themselves? Susan, any, any final thoughts from you? Uh, probably from a, a, a fund manager perspective, um, you know, if they've signed up to the UK stewardship code, um, you know, there is a requirement there for them to. Um, expected to put ESG matters at the, at the forefront of um, their, their, their considerations, including climate, climate change, um, to ensure that sort of like the investment decisions that they're making um, are aligned with their clients' sort of expectations. Yes. Um, so that, that's probably something that's uh, forefront of um, definitely a lot of investors' minds now is, you know, um, even green investing, um, you know, is becoming more and more topical. Uh, and uh, with particularly millennials coming through with, um, you know, a bit more financial clout now that they're getting older, um, you know, uh, mm. there's definitely a, a, a lot of push towards that, that, that ESG environment. Um, definitely seeing a lot more of it. It's much more topical across boards uh, and across fund managers um, in general. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, well, speakers, I think we set out today to kind of show to highlight the, the importance of, of having corporate governance at the top of the agenda and, and why it's of, of key importance to businesses, both in public and private markets. Um, and I certainly think all three of you have helped to do just that. Um, so thank you all so much for, for taking part today. Um, and thanks, everyone, for listening.